Welcome. This is Women Behind Wool, a podcast introducing you to the female face of the Australian wool industry. The mills that are actually producing wool are as passionate as we all are, like the growers. Or they're so they're, it is a passionate industry because you you need the know-how, you need the expertise. This week, our guest is Julie Davies from Woolmark and Australian Wool Innovation. Her work is largely involved in product development, but also education, mostly of people along the wool supply chain. So um, people like garment manufacturers, textile dyers and developers and people like that. Julie's perspective on wool is quite different though from anybody we've profiled on women behind wool before she's based in sydney and has been all her life and has never really had much connection to the process of actually growing wool but she is absolutely one of the best when it comes to knowing how to get the most out of wool as a natural fiber we really love her love for textiles and making clothes which she has had since she was a young child And then through years of professional development, she really has come to the top of her game in the field of using wool in innovative new fabrics and textiles. So we hope you enjoy this chat. It was completely enlightening for us and I think you're really going to enjoy it too. Uh, Look, it's it's been an interesting journey for me. Um, After school, I really... You know, I wanted to do teaching, I wanted to do a lot of things, and I found myself in the corporate world. Very quickly on in, in that corporate world in my, in my mid-twenties, I realised that I didn't have a passion for that corporate world. And throughout my teens, I'd always been really interested in um, fabrics, sewing, crafts, uh, you know, so I was really, that, that's how I spent a lot of my time. I love sewing, love fabric textures, sewing clothing for myself. Um, so it was in my late 20s that I really took a step back and thought, okay, what, what do I really want to do with my career? And by chance, I, I just actually started off by um, answering a, an ad to manage a um, a fabric store in Chatswood in Sydney and that uh, you know for those sewers out there would probably remember the companies like Just Knits or Knitwit which were organizations that sold stretch fabrics and they would run sewing courses and so I thought I'd just have a, have a little break and try that um, just just to clear my head and decide really wanted, what I wanted to do and I fell in love with that Just Knits and, and I managed the store so I ran sewing classes uh, learned the background about textiles. We did a lot of textile printing there. So I, I was uh, caught up in it um, right then and I knew there was no turning back. It was um, what I wanted to do. That sort of progressed um, because I've always been fairly ambitious uh, and driven and I love learning. I still love learning today. Um, and I ended up applying for a job for um, with a big organisation and, and for textile printing. Uh, and that organisation was housed, uh, based in Melbourne called Tennyson Textiles, uh, and they did amazing textile printing for um, the bedding industry, homewares, all, also apparel. So uh, that's when I 
join them actually in, in, in sales. That was my entry really to the wholesale, wholesale side of the business and the more in, the industry behind the textile industry. So um, fascinating. I love it how it just started from a love of textiles. And where do you think that came from? Is that something that was encouraged during your childhood? Uh, prob- probably. My grandmother was an amazing seamstress and she used to make beautiful ball gowns and wedding gowns for people on the old singer treadle machine so really amazing what she did there uh my my sister I remember she used to make whole wardrobe collections for Barbie dolls you know and even even making little uh you know shoes out of um with corks and you know the old cloth like like first dolls and things it was it was quite extraordinary so I suppose it's just always loved it. My mother always loved fashion, and so we we sort of grew grew up in that environment. Um, and and I was, as I said, hooked from a very early age. So when I started in the industry working for tennis and textiles in uh, textile printing, um, right from those early days, I loved going to work. I, I still do. I still find my um, you know, I get out of bed, get ready for work, and it doesn't feel like work to me. It feels part of me, and I, I just get so much thrill and out of what I do every day. And I, ha- I have two sons. One's um, actually going to be married next Monday. Um, oh, wow. I love it. And uh, he's, he's 30, and I have another son, uh, Rowan, who's 24. And I've always tried to instill in the boys that it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you do with your careers, just try and find your passion. And then it's not, then it's not work. You, you get so much thrill out of it and, and work, you know, your work environment and, and grow that and keep, keep curious, keep learning. And, um, you know, well, that's my motto anyway. <laughs> so. When did the Woolmark and the AWI come into your being? Yeah. So after tennis and textiles, that experience, I, I worked for a, uh, Oliver and then after maternity leave so I had a year off and the company I was working for asked me to join um, a a vertical company of theirs uh, called DPK Australia and as I said a fully vertical company where they were circular knitters of textiles and they also made garments and they really had a strong industry here supplying the um, Australian fashion industry that that was in the days where there was a very very strong industry here in Australia. So you, you had the the, the makers, um, cut and sew makers, all the accessory companies, they, the dye house, dye and chemical companies. They were all here locally. So that company was based originally out at Arncliffe and then moved to Alexandria. So when I uh, came back from maternity leave, I actually started their fabric sales division. And I worked with two men in particular who were just extraordinary in the textile industry and had a lot of um, knowledge on wool. And that was Alberto Pastura. He's, he's now passed, but he was um, wonderful in textile creation and knit, knitted fabrics. Um, so finer than maybe a, a, a sweater, but circular knit fabrics. Um, so we used to do jacquards, stripes, uh, pointels, all sorts of and beautiful fabrics with different finishes. And in our dye house, we also had a finishing manager who was uh, French, uh, Alain Fleck, and he used to finish the, the textiles in um, on a stenter system. And I remember very early on with them, it was it was always about the hand feel of a fabric. 
so what, what a stentary is, is the final pass of a fabric before it's, um, so it dries the fabric and sets the fabric and comes off and, and into the, the rolls at the end of the fabric. And he used to, um, you know, we'd stand together, but he, it was all about the touch. So it wasn't you'd close your eyes and touch the fabric, not just follow a recipe of how it had to be finished, but to really understand that touch of the fabric. So they were, they were tr- true masters and great mentors for me, and I worked with them for many, many uh, years. We we were in at that, that time supplying um, Australia a lot of Australian designers with um, circular knit wool fabrics, um, but we also had a strong uh, export business. So uh, we would sell to companies like um, Calvin Klein, Mark Jacobs, um, the North Face for the, when when wool was first being accepted in that sports outdoor market. So we were we were quite diverse in the offerings of the fa- types of fabrics we. Um, we we sold those times and and still today you know a lot of these overseas brands um the strength of them they the manufacturing a lot of it happens in asia so vietnam's a really important manufacturing hub you know where china's always been very strong but india bangladesh nations like that in, in indonesia so in asia taiwan japan as well as the, of course, the strong European um, textile industry. So, for in those days when we were selling textiles, it made sense actually to have them produce, you know, the textiles produced here and just shipped it into Asia for those um, cut and sew uh, for the garments actually to be manufactured and then shipped on to their destination. So, um, so that's really the journey I had prior to uh, to AWI Australian Wool Innovation and. And sadly, as with, with the decline of our textile industry, we um, the company actually uh, went into administration in 2008 with the, the GFC, which was a, a terribly sad time uh, and, and um, more than sad. It was really, uh, you know, just that loss of industry here. So many companies before that in the early 2000s had, had struggled um, with so much production happening offshore and being imported. So you had, you know, wonderful companies here, textile and garment manufacturers who just couldn't survive because they couldn't compete with the overseas prices. So, you know, garments coming in from China, there was a great collapse then. So we were, the mill was one of the last to stand and unfortunately it it, it didn't. Um, So uh, after 2008, I did a couple of years consulting for various companies and um, in 2011, Australian Wool Innovation, they asked me to, um, to do a short contract with them um, to help write a strategy for the sports outdoor market for wool. And I had a three months with them and uh, on contract, and then they offered me a, a full-time position, which is now 11 years ago, so, which has gone very quickly. Because <laughs> you love your job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So tell me when wool, when you sort of first came across wool, have you always been using it even as a child or, and, and tell me how you discovered it and how you felt about the fabric? Uh, interesting journey. I grew up with wool. I, you know, I had a grandmother who used to knit sweaters all the time for us. Um, wool was very much in our, our lives, wool and school jumpers, you know, things like that and fashion. It's interesting because having said my eldest son is 30, I remember when I had him, he, it was a time when we really moved away from 
hand knits. I remember my uh, my aunt had prepared this beautiful box of hand knit bonnets and booties and little jackets, and it was just on the verge when we were changing the way we dress children. So suddenly they're in a lot of cotton, which again wonderful natural fiber, but little um, like little denim jeans or pouches over their um, nappies, or mm-hmm. we were we started to dress children differently. So my kids actually didn't grow up with a lot of wool, which they laugh about now because they, <laughs> everything I give them is wool. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really was a, a, a generation, and I think for the Walmart company, uh, because that's what we are overseas, Australian Wool Innovation, owner of the Walmart company, it's that generation we really have to focus on as well, those kids who've never had a good experience with wool apart from really uncomfortable school pants mm. or scratchy jumpers. And in, and when I started working for um, you know, the, well, the company previous to Australian Wool Innovation, that's when we really started experimenting with lots of different yarns, wool yarns, and putting them into lots of different fabrications. So um, the owner of the company was really progressive also and backed innovation. So we were always trialling, okay, like you might see a a cotton polyester fleece, like a sloppy joe fabric. We would do that and say, okay, let's make this out of wool. Or it might be a rib and we put wool into it or um, we we, uh, double-sided fabric. So it was we were trying to look at, okay, what's out there at the moment and how can we substitute and put wool into that textile? I and why a, did they love wool so much? Why, why did they do that? It's, it's interesting because we used to exhibit overseas at trade shows as well. Being, you know, an Australian company, the overseas customers used to come and say, can I see your wool range? As simple as that. And it was just, wow, we did so many other things, just not just wool, we did beautiful um, tensils and viscoses, silks, all sorts, all all knitted fabric. But we just knew, you know, from those experiences after it took us a couple of years for the penny to really drop and realise, you know, why don't we really extend this wool range because there seems to be a need. And as I said earlier, even the companies like the North Face wanting, Mm. wanting it for a base layer. Um, so we then spent uh, a lot, a lot of time, and um, and the owner invested a lot of money, obviously because to develop wool's not a, a cheap raw material. So we were very fortunate, and then having the two, uh, the expertise of the Alberto the knitter and uh, Alain Fleck on finishing. You know, we were just producing beautiful, beautiful fabrics, and and that's when we knew there was a need, and that's how we kept innovating and probably how I keep doing it today to understand that wool can be used in such a diverse range of products not not just one area it's not just a a coat or a sweater or a pant or you know it's very diverse and very diverse for many different categories of how you wear clothing too Uh, so not just for formal uh, sports outdoors a big area so really, yeah, so it's that constantly thinking of new applications. Is that and, the main part of your job with AWI, Julie? Could you explain a little bit more just in really practical terms about what your what your role involves? Yeah, so we have, um, I have a team of, a, te- a technical team, a global technical team, 
throughout Asia, Europe and in the States. And we really work very closely with the manufacturing um, supply chain. So from early stage processing of wool. So once that greasy wool is exported to the scouring process, then um, top making uh, the spinners we work closely with, innovating new yarns. Uh, or supporting that, and uh, then with knitters, weavers, dyers, finishers, garment manufacturers. Um, so we we want to keep up to date with the latest technologies to to help support brands innovate with wool. So that's basically what we're doing. We sort of we either work with the manufacturers to push up innovation to offer their brands, or we will work with a brand back down through the supply chain to innovate a product in wool. Um, and, and offer technical support wherever we can. Um, we all, the other part of my role, education extension, is really educating supply chain, helping educate them on wool and wool processes. And we we launched just before COVID. Um, the timing was quite incredible. We, not that anyone wanted COVID, but we we just launched a Walmart Learning Centre, which is a di- digital platform. And it's a very extensive platform of education courses on wool, on processing, um, the wool fibre, the the benefit, you know, the the attributes of that wool fibre through spinning, weaving, knitting, dyeing. And they're really at tertiary level courses. So um, we, a lot of universities globally have adopted the courses within their lesson plans. Um, but the courses are very, you know, relevant to the trade to help educating the workers in the supply chain with wool. I should add here that if, if you have a mill producing wool, as I said earlier, it's an expensive raw material. The mills that are actually producing wool are as passionate, passionate as we all are, like the growers. or they're, they're so, they're, it, it is a passionate industry because you, you need the know-how. You need the expertise. You want to produce good fabric. You're not, you're not wasting. There's, so you get very dedicated, very sophisticated supply chain. That's what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. They're not, it's not just in and out. So you don't really get a manufacturer who will do a small collection and then come out of it and then go back in. Mm. They, they, they're dedicated to it. And, and the same with brands who use it. You know, once you get a brand doing wool collections, mm. they're not generally in and out of it either. I so, love that. That's so correct, isn't it, that you need to know wool inside out and so you have to make a commitment first up to get into it and then you really do fall in love with it. And that carries through. And that's exactly what we see through Women Behind Wool and Penny Ashby and her Lady Kate brand is just an, another example of that. You know, she the amount of knowledge that she has um, as a result of having done that is 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 so in-depth and far more um, passionate and knowledgeable than perhaps um, other clothing brands. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. her um, her range is is just truly beautiful and I remember Penny in, in years ago when she started that label the the self-education she you know she really went into it she really wanted to understand the yarns and the process and not just I want that produced you know she wanted to understand every step of the way and the reason why the yarn would react a certain way in a certain knit structure so it, it's it's it. you, you, you're right. It's that sort of passion that that I believe it, it makes you know that end garment so special. You know, mm. uh, and do you also see that? I mean, for Penny uh, as well, and 
for me, although I'm not a designer and I'm not involved in anywhere, but it's a, it's a, it's a lifetime in the making. And the, the people that you come across, do you find the same thing that they have a more than just five years experience? They've been in touch with wool for a much longer time. Yeah, they are. And I think on the education side of our business as well, we at um, Australian Wool Innovation, we have what we call a retail training program. So we have worked with top retailers and brought to Australia key people in those organisations to take them to an on-farm uh, you know, visit, to experience, to meet the grower, to see the land, to, to see the sheep, to understand Again, what I'm talking, and I know I keep talking about passion, but but it is, you know, what the growers, they're not just putting sheep out in the paddock mm. to do pen for themselves. You know, there's so much um, hard work and, and skill to actually grow the wool. So when these um, brands come out, and I'm talking brands, we've had, you know, Prada, uh, Versace, Gucci, um, Burberry, you know, really top, um, uh, you know, Max Mara, top brands and once they get out and and see it they're they're converted too and it's it's it's, that's what I'm saying the expertise expertise right through supply chain Mm. it doesn't just happen it takes as every step of the way there's a process there's a dedication and there's hard work Mm. and constant learning so with the machinery companies we even work with there's always pushing the boundaries um what is, is happening at the moment, we're doing a lot with natural dyes. So this company doing, you know, for instance, I was just working with one last week uh, in Japan that are working with food waste dyes, taking food waste and making dye stuffs out of it and applying it to wool. You know, there's that type of innovation is, is coming through, waterless dyeing, uh, digital printing yarns wool yarns you know so that whole environmental issue is sustainable it is very very relevant in our trade um, isn't going away and it, that excitement and that innovation so to keep I think you mentioned before what keep, keeps you going with it yeah. it's always moving like it, it's not the whole industry always moves mm. and looking for for more out of um what they produce. And is that part of the reason why the sustainability attributes of wool and the industry are moving forward at such a pace? Yes, the consumer is most certainly demanding it, but there is an excitement around what can be achieved within it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm mm. I'm just thrilled, you know, for wool. We've we've been trying to, you know, we've been sending that message for a long time. Wool is natural, biodegradable, renewable. Um, beautiful to wear, breathes, um, you know, is great in winter, keeps you warm, summer keeps you cool, all naturally, you know, where you're looking at synthetic fibres who apply chemicals to try and make that happen for them, what wool does naturally. So we think now the industry is catching up. It's Everybody catching on. Yep. It's catching up. And Finally. It's, <laughs> it's great for wool. Yes. Great for natural fibre. And that's yes. exciting. I mean, we're very excited about that. Why do you think it is now? Because it's taken a long time, but what's what's kind of the the turning point that makes it have its day in the sun? I think for me, when you're looking, you know, this whole fast fashion and what it's doing and the the messaging behind that and the waste, the waste of textiles and landfill and this disposable, you know, buying online or whatever, you know, cheap garments and throw, you know, I think, I think it's, and the clutter and the, mm. I think the industry is getting so fed up with that. And that whole drive was a real push for 
pushing down the price of um, fabrics and garments. You know, we, you know, there's a lot of garments where we, us as consumers, we're not paying enough for. You can't, you know, someone's been exploited. If you're buying a, a pack of three school shirts for $6 with buttons and collars and there's something wrong with that and someone's been exploited and we, we know where it happens. It's in those, a lot of those countries where it's cheap labour and so it's that greed and I actually think consumers now are getting more insights to that and, and getting sick of that mm. or us that we do more for our planet and be more responsible. I think COVID made that relevant for a lot of people as well. Mm. Being at home and understanding um, is more meaningful for them. Um, I think that was a bit of time out for people as well instead yeah. of on absolute fast pace. Mm. Um, mm. So. Yeah, there is a lot of shift, but I think those, you know, and and uh, the marketing department do a, an amazing job in globally on, you know, trying to teach that, you know, educate again mm. the, uh, future generations. Uh, generations. Yes, it'll be wonderful to um, try and speak with someone from the marketing department one day about how they do yeah. that, that education. Um, I do want to ask you, Julie, about Woolmark and the yeah. importance of the Woolmark and the process that a yarn has to go through before it's approved. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, the Woolmark, and maybe many of your listeners know from their personal experience when they go to store and they see a Woolmark swing tag on that garment. And basically what that is with any uh, license, any company that holds a license for to have that Woolmark, all their garments are tested. So it's... Um, really rigorous testing it's a quality assurance program the garments are tested to make sure that they they don't shrink they don't peel they don't skew they don't you know that they can they can perform really well their color fastness is good so that quality assurance we we have a technical services manager that's that program and what we also do with with that we we're supporting the um, manufacturers if they are having issues uh, overcoming um, abrasion or dye fastness, colour fastness, that we we can then, that technical team that I spoke about earlier, can go in and help support that company to overcome the issue. So it's a really important uh, mark on the garment, but it is one of quality and people can be assured that it's, um, you know, approved quality garment and will pe- performs. So does the testing and the licensing happen at the manufacturing level or does it happen sort of... Um, I don't know if I'm speaking the right words, but at the retail level, so the person who has got their new uh, jumpers in, for example, do they send it off to Walmart and it's tested at that point? Yeah, but the um, manufacturer can be hold the license as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they can pass pass that on to the brand. So it's it's through that supply chain where the testing happens. So even fabric through a um, through a dye house would have to be tested and QC. It's not, it, it's quite a rigorous process, but the textile industry is very used to that anyway. So you do, there are standards, test standards that in, in any fabric that you, you need to pass. So the Walmart is, you know, specific to wool testing. People um, who are developing products, they need to seek out those manufacturers rather than just developing a product through their own manufacturer, for example, and then coming to Walmart to have it certified no they can do that as well so it's any anywhere through the supply chain and we we work with a lot of mills who want to 
be licensed. Uh, so they want to help help meet those standards, understand the test methods to then have be able to certify their product. Uh, so it is any step. Are there um, different levels of Walmart certification? Not different levels, but there's different. We have, um, you know, 100, for 100% wool or a wool blend and wool blends at, at two levels. Um, so they're, they're, they're the ones. Because in the sporting industry as well, sometimes you are mixing wool with another fibre, uh, wool nylon, wool silk. Um, yeah. And often that's for abrasion purposes as well. Um, we've done recent. We've re- recently done a lot of uh, innovative work in yoga and um, active wear, um, especially for women and and cycling. You know, female silhouettes rather than a male silhouette, just adjusted slightly to fit a female yeah. form. Yes. A sporting industry. So, and some of those um, fabrics actually need perform really well. It might need fifteen percent, twenty percent of a nylon or synthetic fiber in there for strength. Um, but we do we do a lot more with natural fibers. So we do a lot of wool and cotton or wool and silk, cellulosic fibers as well to a- achieve high performance. Why I mean high performance, a lot of uh, some of the categories we work in, not just fashion, so sports, but true performance sports. So I don't know whether you're aware we worked, uh, we did the Prada Luna Rossa for the sailing. Mm. Last year, so we worked with the Italian team on, on all their uniforms on boat and on shore. Um, we do we did. The so, what did that trip. involve? What did what did you have to incorporate in the fabric for that? Yeah, well, they were that was they were interesting because it was you know on water sports. So we did mm. you know, some bonded fabrics or some blends. So we did some that were you know one fiber on the outside shell of the garment and wool next to the skin. Um, we did, you know, very fine knit T-shirts for on, on the boats. They used as base layers. Um, there were pants. There were, you know, so it was a variety. So both knitted and woven uh, fabrics in that, in that collection. So that's just sort of one example where the technical team will go in very early and, and help um, with product and mm. innovate product. We also did the Andy Murray um, tennis, Wimbledon, where he wore um, wool as a, it was um, a double face fabric but fiber next to the skin was wool for performance so that again gives you that understanding or consumers understanding that wool is performance you know it's in in high performance extreme performance not just a run mm. or something which which is good for as well but it's uh... do you find that these brands are coming to you or that you're seeking them out What's, what happens more often? Previously, it was us seeking them out, but it's it's turned. It's uh, in these last few years, it's really turned around. You know, we, we just did a big workshop last week with Solomon, the ski brand in Europe, um, and we we get a lot of leads also from trade shows. We exhibit at the most you know influential trade shows, and they be they may be a yarn trade show or a fabric trade show. So we meet with a lot of brands at the in that forum and start doing work with them we we often do you know that the marketing team will market a product but we will the production team technical team will be involved to create yeah. that garment then through to marketing mm. um, so we at Walmart we're a very close global team uh, even though we are global we will work very closely together and um, you know to to you know produce garments market the garments educate how big is the team? Now we're at about 125. Yeah. 
Um, sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit, but the, just um, back to the wall marks, um, how many of them are there? I understand that there's lots and lots of different ones. So how do you sort of as a, as a buyer, as a customer, how do you know which one to look for when you're buying? Um, it would just be a, it's a swing tag or sewn in to the garment and it's just uh, the emblem, the, the logo, the wool mark, and if it's um, solid black, it means it's 100% wool product. Um, but the labels actually will, will tell you as well what that is as a, for a consumer. Um, also, or, or if it's a blend, it is a, a grey gray logo. Um, and that's why the retail uh, education is important. So we're actually educating floor staff to, um, you know, when they get the consumer in to really teach them about what the wool product, whether it's a knit or woven, and what that means. So the consumer, and, and we are trying to get that more into the online uh, online platforms as well, where brands are selling wool product. So to actually have the emblem there, an explanation of what that logo is or the, the wool behind that um, that garment. And so we, with the licensing program, we actually have a, a traceability program, which is interesting. So more and more brands want to understand exactly where that fiber comes from. So we have traceability and it's early days with that as well because certain brands are just starting that, but that is a movement, again, with sustainability, traceability, you know, whether that logo traces back to a region or mm. a wool or a particular property. Mm. Yeah. Oh, there's so much more to talk about, but I know that we have to <laughs> wrap it up. Before you go, Julie, tell me, what's your favourite wool jumper? And are you wearing wool to your son's wedding? <laughs> I am. Um, my favourite wool jumper, well, I'm just replacing it now. I, I'm actually maybe you, I've had an old grey one, a lovely big turtleneck, loose fitting, just pull over absolutely anything, an old favourite, and you know, I'd never get rid of it. As I look in the stores now and some of this brighter colour, you know, some, and wool dyes beautifully, you know, in bright, bright, vibrant so you know hot pinks or oranges or greens mm. so I'm um I've got my eye on another one to uh, to have to add to my <laughs> collection but I I live in I'm in, in wool now you know whether it's fine knits woolen pants it's um wonderful fiber to uh just wear as, as we were talking earlier you you must have a lot and uh once you start you can't stop wearing it <laughs> well it's been fascinating to speak with you, Julie, and we could keep going on and on and on. Um, but yeah, I look forward to watching more about your latest innovations and development. And thanks for taking time to speak with us on Women Behind Wall. Oh, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Women Behind Wall. As we near the end of this podcast series, we really hope that you'll stay on board with the conversation around wool at our three separate Instagram accounts. Of course, there is at Women Behind Wool, but you can find me at Manson Podcasting and Penny at Lady Kate Knitwear, all on Instagram. And if you'd like to see some super gorgeous imagery of some of this year's guests taken by Clancy Payne, then pop into your local newsagent or the supermarket and check out this month's Australian Women's Week.